Pregnancy Help podcast listeners. Uh, delighted to have you with us. Today we are welcoming Sarah Sute from the Lighthouse Station. I'm going to hear a little bit about uh, her and her program, but then kind of enter into the topic of motivational interviewing. We'll find out what that means as we go forward. So Sarah, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mary. Can we start just by hearing a little bit about you and then a little bit about your program just to kind of give us a sense of who you are and um, how your home operates? Sure. The Lighthouse Station is in upstate New York. We're in a really rural community. There's more cows than there are people here. And we serve mamas who are pregnant, and they stay in our program up to nine weeks following the birth of their babies. And we started the ministry just over a year ago, like a year and two months. So we're still kind of at the beginning stages. And my background is as a counselor and as a biblical counselor, but also as a substance use recovery coach. Awesome. I bet that serves you well in this work. But yeah, and great for a startup. So proud of you guys. That startup process is hard. Can you just talk a little bit about your startup phase? Did things just to encourage any startups that might be listening? Yeah, so our startup phase was a series of hurry up and wait is kind of how it felt <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in a, yeah. a lot of pieces. Um, so we actually did what Anne would say we did backwards um, because we had the property first. And we were renovating the property and just really praying for um, God to have purpose for it and for him to um, enlighten us with the mission and with the population group that we're going to be serving. And and through just a lot of prayer and searching, um, we came to the conclusion that we were going to focus on maternity housing. And at the time, there was nothing like that in upstate New York. And so it was it was a big gap in service. It's really kind of interesting to me and, and magnificent to see how God works because there's been a lot of really negative political stuff in New York State recently um, where they've legalized full-term abortion and they've just really made it very difficult for pregnancy help ministries. And God was ahead of that because, you know, we started researching and moving forward with opening and looking into that back in 2014 and felt the call um, of God back then. And since 2014, just in Western New York, we've had a house open in Syracuse, which is Joseph's home for women. We had um, our house, Lighthouse Station, open. We had the Mother Teresa home, which is in Buffalo, New York, open, and they're run by the Catholic Diocese. And then just a couple months ago, we actually had the Margaret home, open, which is in East Rochester. So even though all this political stuff was on the horizon, like God was ahead of that by two or three years, just lining his people up in place to be there for these women. And it's just, it's just magnificent to me to watch. Um, and Truly. Yeah, I hadn't put all that together quite that linear way. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, it really, you know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty because None of us knew each other when we were, you know, we were all kind of feeling the call and speaking to God independently. But then for all of us to kind of open one after the other, year after year, you know, so first was Joseph's home, then was Mother Teresa home, then it was our home, and now Margaret home. So in the past four years, we've had four houses open in Western New York to serve the women here. Oh, spectacular. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Well, let that be encouragement to anyone who feels like God's inviting them, yeah, perhaps ahead of what, what might make sense. That's beautiful. So, Sarah, you agreed to kind of enter into the topic. We, we kind of framed it as motivational interviewing, but we're really trying to poke at a particular question. And really that, that desire is something we all long for the women is that kind of desire for more, right? And so want to poke at, you know, how can we as homes, as programs, as people in their lives kind of help wake up that desire and just encourage them to kind of find that um, in themselves. So um, we might call that productivity or how to motivate them or whatever, but kind of just trying to think about that, that desire for more. Can you talk a little bit about that and your experience of that and what you've seen? Yes. The first thing I would say when I think about the desire for more is that that is an individual definition. Like we each have to define that for ourselves. And it's really difficult for somebody to look at someone else and say, I know what is best for you. And I know what is best, you know, what you should want. And we do it for our kids. You know, I'm, so I have two kids in college now and I have one that's a senior in high school. And, you know, each of them, we walked through that and, that process of deciding, okay, what are we going to major in? What do you want to do with your life? What do you, you know, what are you interested in? And sometimes it's like pulling teeth because they're like, I have no idea what that could possibly look like. And I know for the mamas in our program, you know, sometimes it's the same way. You look at them and you say, okay, so here's our program and the program includes, you know, elements of more, right? Whether it's more life skills or more education or more, you know, financial stability or whatever it is. Like we look at them and we say, this category of more is better for you and um, you should want that and you should pursue it. But a lot of times I think that we forget to ask them what more looks like for them. And, you know, depending on their background and depending on where they come from, you know, they might never be thinking that they want to live by themselves because nobody in their family lives by themselves. You know, they've got multi-generations living in one house or they've got um, big sibling groups, you know, so maybe independence for them is not something that they ever considered, you know, that they, they don't want to live by themselves with their baby or they don't want to learn to drive because nobody in their family drives or they don't want to go to college because... Nobody in their family has ever gone to college. So in coaching, um, especially in the recovery community, you know, we ask people up front, what do you want, um, you know, what does sobriety look like for you? You know, how would you define that for you? So to be able to look at our girls and say something similar to them to say, you know, what would success look like for you? How would you define, you know, living a successful life? And really be able to listen to them and to put words to what that, quote, unquote, more is for them. You know, because when we might have, you know, middle class or upper class ideas of what they should want, but it, if it's not what they really want, then they're not going to work for it. Or they might not even think that it's achievable for them. And that's a really big thing. Um, especially in the recovery community, a lot of people think that the end goal should be 100% sobriety and, you know, 100% abstinence from whatever um, substance that they are choosing. But in the recovery community, we define, 
their recovery. We allow them to define their recovery. We believe that they are the expert on their own life. So if their recovery means, you know, I'm only going to have, you know, one drink at a graduation party, and that'll be my drink for the year or at the end of the new year, we allow them to define their own goals. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm aware too, you know, when, you know, when, um, especially for the women had, that have been through really tremendous, you know, things in their life, that perhaps kind of the the going to sleep of that desire for more, right, is has been a survival, you know, tool. Like in order to kind of function, it had to be focused on here, now, immediate, getting my needs met, you know. And that, that whole idea of even, you know, long-term goals or a whole different life or something in that kind of had to, to go go dormant for a season uh, just, just in order to kind of make it. Sure, sure. Maslow talks about that pyramid, that hierarchy of needs, you know, that's and the base layer of food, shelter, safety, security. And if we have not met that base layer, there's no way for us to process a higher concept of, you know, more of long-term goals or anything. When we're hungry, when we're tired, when we feel unsafe, we, you know, physically cannot process higher order thinking. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So, and I, and I guess that's kind of the rub. So, the, right, the mom moves in into our homes, right? So, suddenly she does have, she has stable nutrition, she has safety, she has a place to come back to that's you know, that has, um, is stable. And so those baseline needs are met. And now the question is, how do we start to kind of tap into those bigger, or not bigger, higher levels, those languages that you use, that kind of higher level um, things. So what's some of the strategies that you use in order to help women do that, go there? So the first thing that we do is we do what's called like a values assessment. And this is a super easy tool. You can find it, like if you Google values assessment, there's, there's games, there's exercises, there's worksheets. But we do a values assessment because we want to find out for the girls what is important to them. What is most important? What do they value? And most of the values assessment, they're going to give you a list of adjectives. And so it might say, um, loyalty, trust, financial security, you know, any of the, like just a list of qualities. And then they have to pick like their top five. And this is going to tell you a lot about where this young woman wants to go and what is going to motivate her to get there. Okay. So if she tells me that um, what is most important to her is family, then I know that, you know, that will help to motivate her and um, what her goals might be. So her goal is going to be around having a stable and secure family. If she tells me that one of her goals or one of the things that she values most is integrity, then I know that she and I can build a trust relationship by always being 100% honest. It's about what they value. You know, so if, if there's a young lady who's coming into my program and she says that what is most important to her is time, then when I find her wasting time, I can say to her, you know, hey, 
I know that time is really important to you. Let's look at how we're spending it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's um, it's uh, like a simple concept that has such deep implications. You know, I can see when you're having decision making or hard conversations or things about goal setting, you know, that all of those, this could be an important, just an important thing to know and understand. I had one young lady who told me that she va- what she valued the most was independence. So then I can have a follow-up question and say, okay, what does independence mean to you? And we were able to kind of hash it out just by asking four levels of questions. So that's, a, that's actually a business strategy that I learned a long time ago working in finance is you ask why four times or you ask what four well, let's times. Let's hear more about that. How do you, what do you mean by that? I don't – so it's easiest to play it out. So, Mary, what is something that is really important to you? Uh, being listened to. Okay. So why being listened to so important? To me, it shows that uh, people care about me. Okay. And what do you feel when you think someone cares about you? Yeah, it gives me a sense of security and purpose and, yeah, just connection. So I'm hearing that security and purpose and connection are important to you. When that happens, you know, what does that enable you to do? Or why is is connection important to you? Yeah, it just builds trust and... Yeah, just that I have a place in the world. So by asking what or why four times, yeah. you get to really the bottom of what it is. So to you, trust and security and connection means belonging. At least that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's So that's then, good. then we know that it's important for Mary to feel like she belongs when she comes into my program. Yeah, no, that's really great. Is that a certain... Um, Strategy, people wanted to kind of read about that or hear more about that or practice that. Where where would they learn more, Sarah? I actually have no idea. That <laughs> <laughs> That's my most honest answer right there. Um we yeah. learned it so we learned it in customer service working at the bank to say, you okay. know, how do we you know, how do we get to the bottom of what our customers need? We ask them what or why four times. So if you're ever at a car dealership and they keep asking you what or why, you know that that salesperson is going to sell you something. But it's a strategy that works, huh? Yeah. It is. But it's, it's really just about finding out what is most important to that person. And especially if you're dealing with women who are coming out of trauma or coming out of, you know, any kind of of abusive situations, you're going to see when you ask them to get to the bottom like that, number one, it's going to be really difficult for them to put a finger on it. The closer, like once you get to two or three, the harder it is to answer what or why. But you're going to find that that is whatever was taken away from them, whether it's freedom and independence or a sense of belonging or a sense of security or a sense of being able to choose their own freedoms, you know, whether it's even just something simple like being able to choose their own menu items or, you know, bigger things. So in a trauma situation or in a recovery situation, you're going to find that when you get to the bottom of those four whys, that's fundamentally what was taken away from them. Yeah, that's interesting. I know another piece that you talked about as we were prepping was the idea of kind of identifying strengths and really, and in in some ways, 
Um, this, those two seem deeply related to me. I don't know if you could speak to kind of that need to identify strengths. This is so powerful. Identifying strengths. Um, when we have a young lady come into our program, one of the things that we ask her to do is we ask her to make a list of strengths that is equal to her age. And um, I would really recommend to anybody listening to this podcast to try this. Because you might be saying to yourself, oh, my gosh, I'm 50 years old, and there's no way I could come up with a list of 50 strengths. But we say to the girls, like, okay, so you've been on this planet for 23 years, and we're always learning. We're always growing. You know, you must have learned or acquired some sort of strength at least once a year that you were here um, on this planet. So I want you to sit down and make a list of your 23 strengths that 23 things that you think you're good at. And um, I said, say to them, like, it's, you can get creative, you can do whatever you need. But it is amazing to see them come up with some of these identified strengths. And it can be anything from, you know what, I'm a good listener, to I'm a good survivor, to I, you know, I make a mean scrambled egg. Like anything that they identify as a strength, we can use into talking about creating change in their life. And even sometimes their strengths are, you know, that they've learned from a negative situation before, you know, like I'm never making that mistake again. Well, that's great. That's a strength. And identifying um, small things that are done with consistency because those things add up to more. One of the things that we talk about when we talk about motivational interviewing is the stages of change. Okay, so we always, when we think about making a change, we always think about the actions where we're actually changing something. You know, so for example, you know, it's coming up on the new year and everybody's going to talk about going on a diet and being healthier and making better choices. But the reality is, all of the things that we look at when we say, oh, Sarah is making a change in her life, those are the action things. But there are other stages of change way before that happens. The first stage of change is the pre-contemplation stage. That's where, you know, it's Christmas and all the cookies are around and we're not thinking about our New Year's resolution <laughs> to be healthier or to eat better or to have less sugar. That's our pre-contemplation phase. The second phase of change is what we call contemplation, where we're thinking about it, okay? So that's maybe a change would be healthy. Maybe I could do something differently. Maybe I shouldn't have eaten that entire plate of cookies, right? So that's, that's our contemplation phase. The third phase is what we call preparation, Okay, so in our diet analogy, our preparation phase might be throwing away all the junk food and replacing it with healthy fruits and vegetables. It's maybe p plugging our phone in downstairs and leaving our Bible on the nightstand so that when we wake up in the morning, we're feasting on the Word instead of on Facebook or social media. It's making preparation to do something different. And then the fourth stage is the actual change. So for us, when we're looking at these girls and we want to move them from, I don't have a problem, there's nothing going on here, to taking action steps and making a change, this list that they have of strengths is going to be great preparation. Because if they say, well, I have great willpower or um, I have creative cooking skills or I have, you know, whatever strengths that they have identified, 
we can use those strengths to help them move through the stages of change. And just because somebody says, I don't have a problem, doesn't mean that they're not in a stage of change. They're just in that pre-contemplative stage. So then our goal is to use some of their strengths, use some of their values that they identified and what was important to them to say, okay, let's move from pre-contemplative to contemplative. Let's use that to start thinking about change. And then once they're in the contemplative stage, we say, okay, what do we need to do to move from thinking about it to preparing for it? Okay, so now what list on these strengths that you have identified can we use to move from preparing for it to actually doing it? And then once we've moved to doing it, how do we maintain it? And how do we build that resiliency in? Because that's the fifth stage of change that is the most difficult, which is uh, maintaining and building resiliency. But those strengths are really going to be the building block for these girls. When you pair their strengths that they have identified with the goals and values that they have identified, they are still maintaining a feeling of control in their life because it's their values and their strengths to identify their goals and then to prepare and actually make the change. Yeah, maybe we could talk through an example um, if you're up for it. And we're doing this on the fly, so it might be a little bumpy. But so like an example that came to my mind is, okay, a mom needs to come up with a daycare solution, right? She needs to figure that out so that she can return to work after she gives birth. But she just is not doing anything about it. So the staff is trying to figure out how to motivate her, encourage her to figure out what that's going to look like for her. Can you talk us through kind of maybe what that conversation would look like? So, again, on the fly. (laughs) Um, So I would say the first thing is to get to the bottom of, for her, why she wants to go back to work. Is it because I'm telling her she needs to go back to work? Or is it because the program demands that she goes back to work? Or is it because she has a goal that she's chasing that one of the steps is for her to go back to work. So that's that's the first thing, you know, is in motivation is she needs to look inside herself and say, do I want to go back to work for me? And ask those four whys. Okay, so why do you want to go back to work? Well, because I need money. That's easy. <laughs> okay, so yeah. why do you need money? Well, I need money because, you know, I don't want to live on the streets and I don't want CPS to take the baby and I don't want... Um, you know, I don't want to get kicked out of an apartment or whatever. So, and you say, okay, so why is that important to you? And she says, well, I've been there before and I don't want to go back there. And okay, so now you're at the third why. You say, okay, so why? Well, I want, I want to make a better life for me and for the baby. Um, you know, this is really important to me. I need to show my mom, my boyfriend, my whoever, that I can do this and or I need to show this baby that that we can do this together, whatever. So the first step is to get to the bottom of why getting a job and therefore needing daycare is important to her. And then once you have that, you can say, okay, you know, girl, okay, mama, you say that 
being a team and um, not being back on the street is really important to you. So let's move to a preparation stage. What strengths do you have that might help you to achieve this? Because if she doesn't think that she can, she's not even going to try. So she looks at her strengths and she says, well, I'm, I'm really good at talking on the phone. And, you know, maybe that was, maybe she thought it was a joke when she wrote it down, you know, like, hey, I got great phone skills, whatever. So, but then you say, okay, how can using the skills with your phone help you find a daycare to help you get, you know, whatever she identified as her why, how, how can we use this strength and match it up with this value to achieve this change, okay? So you can fill in the blanks across there. And she says, well, I don't know. I say, well, what apps do you have on your phone that can help you find a daycare? How many people do you need to call to find daycare? In New York State, if you're below the poverty line, you can get um, free or subsidized childcare. I don't know if it's that way across the country, but it is in New York. So for her, for our girls, we say, okay, so you need to go and fill out an application at Community Action that will help you to see what child care options you have, like who accepts the subsidized care and who has openings, that kind of thing. But it's amazing how many apps there are on the phones these days and how much the girls can do on their phone. So if they have great, you know, they know how to use phone skills, then use it. You know, you've identified this as a strength. So so show me. Use your strengths to um help you do that. And it's it's just about tying together the the values for motivation with the strengths that they have and the goals that they've identified. You know, and and to be able to say to them, okay, what other options do you have? And cut to to allow her to come up with some options that then she can look at and evaluate and make the choice for herself. I think that for a lot of our clients, we see that their choices have been taken away from them, and they don't have a lot of power in their own lives. And it's about empowering them to make that choice. Yeah. Well, that wasn't bumpy at all. That was spectacular. <laughs> I could tell you your, your experience at using this, this strategy. Um, another thing you mentioned is the idea of kind of looking at what's worked when they've had to do things in the past, kind of what's worked for them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we, we do that a lot in recovery. Um, it's also applicable um, to our girls. Because each individual is an expert on their own life. They know what they've tried and they know what has worked or not worked. And it's a, it's a great tool to allow them to go kind of backwards a little bit and look at and examine what they can learn from each thing. So in terms of substance use, we use this to say, you know, okay, last time you um, decided that you were going to quit, and you were working towards sobriety, and you made it, you know, five days. So what did you do in those five days that worked for you? And it doesn't matter if it's five months or five weeks or five days or five hours. What did you do in that time frame that helped you to move forward? 
And this kind of goes back to that list of strengths. So what worked and what didn't work? And to break it down play by play, if you were a footballer or a soccer coach and you played a game, the next day you would be breaking down, okay, what worked in that game and what didn't work in that game? You know, what position were you in? So I'm not a sports fan, so this analogy is going to fall apart here in a minute. But um, – but the coaches, they replay games, right? They videotape them, they watch them, they look at their form, they see what worked and what didn't work and where things succeeded and fell apart. We do that with our girls to say, what have you done in the past? Okay, so last time you tried to get a job, what did you do and what worked and what didn't work? You know, last time you you know, fill in the blank, whatever, last time you had to make a menu or you had to cook a cake, you know, what worked and what didn't work, what fell flat and what rose above. And this will play in again to their strengths. The social worker in our program, one of the things that she loves to say is, you know, well, how did that work out for you? And whether it's, you know, trying to put a baby down for a nap or just, you know, trying to do something more complex, you know, to be able to take an objective look at what you've done in the past and how that worked for you and to use it in tandem with your list of strengths. So to say, okay, well, last time, last time I tried to put the baby down for a nap, we rocked and rocked until she fell asleep, but then it all fell apart when I went to set her in her crib. Okay. Well, what can we learn from that? Maybe we can not have her fully asleep before we go to put her down, or maybe we need to rock her a little bit longer until she's really, really sleeping before we put her down. You know, so there was success there. The baby fell asleep, but where did it fall apart and how can we learn from that and grow and do better? One of the things in motivational interviewing that we see is a reinforcement. You know, we always want to reinforce what works and, reinforce where um, somebody identifies a strength in themselves. One of the main skills in motivational interviewing is what we call selective reflection. So if somebody comes to me and they say, you know, a series of five statements and one of them was positive and four of them were negative, as a coach, I'm going to reflect back to them the positive thing that they said and say, well, it sounds like this was really good, and they'll say, oh, yeah, that was really good. And what's going to happen when you reflect that good piece back to them is they're going to, they're going to reinforce it. They're going to use affirmative statements, and they're going to start exploring what really worked. So would you say this is um, – I mean, do you use this organically, like in just kind of everyday interaction, or is this more of like a, oh, I, I don't know – you know, a formal conversation where you're goal-setting type of conversation? It can be both. So when you get comfortable with it, you'll find yourself doing it in everyday situations. And like I said, I have two college students, and they'll be like, Mom, stop. (laughs) I know what you're doing. But, um, you know, it becomes very organic to be um, positive. You know, one of the, the strongest things that I think that we can be for these young women is positive because in many situations they're coming out of, um, there's a lack of hope. And hope is both very powerful and very scary. You know, there's a lot of fear that can be wrapped up in hope. Like 
to say I'm afraid to hope, but hope is such a great motivator. And to maintain positivity and an air of hope, I tell the girls in our house, I'm like, nobody believes in you more or will cheer louder, harder, or more fervently for you than the staff in this house. We believe in you. And, you know, so when the girls succeed, even at small things, like they bring home, you know, they're working on um, whatever schooling or whatever they're working on, if they bring home a positive result, like, hey, I got an interview for this job. Oh, boy, we celebrate. And then we do the post-game show. We say, what did you do that really helped you here? And we just we just point it out to them over and over and over to reinforce that strength that they have and it's building self-esteem it's building a self-confidence it's building um, a sense of competency that they have in themselves to just say like you can do this like we're here for you god is here for you you can do this and just reinforce it over and over so whether it's something small like you know overcoming fear or the first time they bathe the baby all by themselves or even if it's just like, hey, you made it up on time today and you got your bed made, like you are off to a great start today. And the thing is, is it sounds kind of hokey when you first start, but it becomes really organic and it becomes duplicatable. The girls, they'll start by making fun of you and it's okay because, you know, it feels, it feels hokey at first to celebrate, you know, even small things like, you know, like, hey, you made a great dinner, or hey, those biscuits turned out less like hockey pucks than the last time, <laughs> you know, and the girls, they they see it sometimes, um, even with us, where they'll, they'll come up and say, hey, you, so I have a problem with losing my keys. <laughs> I'm constantly <laughs> misplacing my keys. And some of the girls, they'll come up to me and be like, hey, it's the end of the day, and you still have your keys. Way to go, Sarah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I know they're picking on me, but it's that kind of reinforcement that says, I saw you did something positive and you, you know, built a strength today. So you can use it in daily reinforcement and you can also use it in deeper conversations where we're actually goal setting and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, those are beautiful examples. Thanks for making it practical and real. Sarah, we're almost at time. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of the of the cool things that you know and do in your house. So I think um, people, you know, I know that you have degrees in counseling, uh, and a lot of our housing staff aren't um, don't have degrees in counseling, right? They're just people who want to kind of accompany women and, and that type of thing. Do you feel like these are strategies that they can use, or is this something, you know, is this something that requires the kind of clinical knowledge that comes with counseling, or I mean, I hear you talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that, there's something about this intuitive, right? We all want to identify, help the mom identify their strengths. We all want to know what motivates her and what she values, you know. Yeah, and yet I'm aware that you're a clinician. So I would say that this is totally something that anybody can do because two things. Thing one is because I learned it not as a clinician but as a salesperson and as a customer service rep. So... <laughs> So I would say, you know, it's definitely something that anybody can do, but it there is an intentionality about it, and you have to, um, until it starts feeling organic, you have to go into conversations with the girls thinking 
what can I positively reinforce for her? What can I find to praise her about? What can I um, seek to understand better? You know, and there's definitely a humility about it because, and I guess this is partially where being a clinician works against us because as a clinician, we are taught that we have the answers, like that these people are coming to us for help and we have the right answers. But as someone who is not a clinician or somebody who is just, God has called you to walk alongside these girls, there's a great power in humility there to say, you know what, you know, girl in front of me, you know what, you have the answers for your life. And it's my job to maybe help you identify them, but it's going to come from you. It's not coming from me. I am not the one with the answers. And that has a lot of power to build trust and to build competency and to build into these girls to say, like, you can do this. I'll walk with you, but you can do this. And I don't have all the answers. Let's explore them and look at them and find them together. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you for sharing your just approach to these topics. So um, there's something really beautiful in it. So if people want to learn more about uh, the Lighthouse Station, where would they look? Yeah, if they want to learn more about Lighthouse Station, the website is just thelighthousestation.org. Um, if you want to learn more about motivational interviewing and the um, techniques and things, there are classes around the country. There's YouTube videos. There's training techniques. There's books. There's there's lots of things um, that they can do. And there's a lot of really great tools that you can use that are readily available, you know, if you Google, you know, if you Google, Google motivational interviewing tools or building strength lists or um, value assessments, there's, there's a lot of really great tools that are just free. Awesome. No, that's great, great encouragement. So, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and experience with us. Super grateful to have had you on the podcast and to to learn from your wisdom. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. We're just one more person doing what God's asked us to do and trying to figure it out as we go. There we go. Amen. All right. Blessings. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in.